Section 19, Chapter 17 of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Section 19, Chapter 17. Rights of Woman. Belinda was alone and reading when Mrs. Freak dashed into the room. "'How do you do, dear creature?' cried she, stepping up to her and shaking hands with her boisterously. "'How do? Glad to see you. Faith, been long here. Tremendously hot to-day.' She flung herself upon the sofa beside Belinda, threw her hat upon the table, and then continued speaking. "'And how do you go on here, poor child? Gad, I'm glad you're alone. Expected to find you encompassed by a whole host of the righteous.' Give me credit for my courage in coming to deliver you out of their hands. Luttridge and I had such compassion upon you when we heard you were close prisoner here. I swore to set the distressed damsel free, in spite of all the dragons in Christendom. So let me carry you off in triumph in my unicorn, and leave these good people to stare when they come home from their sober walk and find you gone. There's nothing I like so much as to make good people stare." I hope you're of my way of thinking. You don't look as if you were, though. But I never mind young ladies' looks. I always give the lie to their thoughts. Now, we talk of looks. Never saw you look so well in all my life. As handsome as an angel, and so much the better for me. Do you know I've a bet of twenty guineas on your head? On your face, I mean. There's a young and bride at Harrowgate, Lady H. They're all mad about her. The men swear she's the handsomest woman in England, and I swear I know one ten times as handsome. They've dared me to make good my word, and I've pledged myself to produce my beauty at the next ball, and to pit her against their bell for any money. Most votes carry it. I'm willing to double my bets, since I've seen you again. Come, had not we best be off? Now, don't refuse me and make speeches. You know that's all nonsense. I'll take all the blame upon myself. Belinda, who had not been suffered to utter a word, whilst Mrs. Freke ran on in this strange manner, looked in unfeigned astonishment. But when she found herself seized and dragged towards the door, she drew back with a degree of gentle firmness that astonished Mrs. Freke. With smiling countenance but a steady tone, she said that she was sorry Mrs. Freke's nightingale should not be exerted in a better cause but that she was neither a prisoner nor a distressed damsel. "'And you will make me lose my bet?' cried Mrs. Freke. "'Oh, at all events, you must come to the ball. I'm down for it. But I'll not press it now, because you're frightened out of your poor little wits. I see at the bare thoughts of doing anything considered out of rule by these good people. Well, well, it shall be managed for you. Leave that to me. I'm used to managing for cowards.' "'Pray, tell me, you and Lady Delacour are off, I understand. "'Give ye joy. She and I were once great friends. "'This is to say, I had over her that power which strong minds have over weak ones. "'But she was too weak for me. "'One of those people that have neither courage to be good nor to be bad.' "'The courage to be bad,' said Belinda. "'I believe, indeed, she does not possess.' "'Mrs. Freke stared.' "'Why, I heard you had quarrelled with her.' "'If I had,' said Belinda, 
I hope that I should still do justice to her merits. It is said that people are apt to suffer more by their friends than their enemies. I hope that will never be the case with Lady Delacour, as I confess that I have been one of her friends. Gad, I like your spirit. You don't want courage, I see, to fight even for your enemies. You are just the kind of girl I admire. I see you have been prejudiced against me by Lady Delacour. But whatever stories she may have dreamt up, the truth of the matter is this. There's no living with her. She's so jealous, so ridiculously jealous, of that lord of hers, for whom all the time she has the impudence to pretend not to care more than I do for the sole of my boot, said Mrs. Freak, striking it with her whip. But she hasn't the courage to give a tit-for-tat. Now this is what I call weakness. Pray, how do she and Clarence Hervey go on together? Are they out of the horn-book for platonics yet? Mr. Hervey was not in town when I left it, said Belinda. Was not he? Ho, ho! He's off, then. Aye, so I prophesied. She's not the thing for him. He has some strength of mind, some soul, above vulgar prejudices. So must a woman be to hold him. He was caught at first by her grace and beauty, and that sort of stuff, but I knew it could not last. Knew she'd dilly-daddly with Clary, till he would turn upon his heel and leave her there. I fancy that you are entirely mistaken both with respect to Mr. Hervey and Lady Delacour. Belinda very seriously began to say, but Mrs. Freak interrupted her and ran on. No, 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 I'm not mistaken. Clarence has found her out. She's a very woman. That he could forgive her, and so could I. But she's a mere woman, and that he can't forgive. No more can I. There was a kind of drollery about Mrs. Freak, which with some people made the odd things she said pass for wit. Humour she really possessed, and when she chose it, she could be diverting to those who liked buffoonery in women. She had set her heart upon winning Belinda over to her party. She began by flattery of her beauty, but as she saw that this had no effect, she next tried what could be done by insinuating that she had a high opinion of her understanding, by talking to her as an esprit fort. For my part— said she. I own I should like a strong devil better than a weak angel. You forget, said Belinda, that it is not Milton, but Satan who says, fallen spirit, to be weak is to be miserable. You read, I see. I did not know you were a reading girl. So was I once. But I never read books now. Books only spoil the originality of genius. Very well for those who can't think for themselves, but when one has made up one's opinion, there is no use in reading. But to make them up, replied Belinda, may it not be useful? Of no use upon earth to minds of a certain class. You who can think for yourself should never read. But I read that I may think for myself. Only ruin your understanding, trust me. Books are full of trash. Nonsense conversation is worth all the books in the world. And is there never any nonsense in conversation? What have you here? continued Mrs. Freak, who did not choose to attend to this question, exclaiming as she reviewed each of the books on the table in their turns, in the summary language of presumptuous ignorance, Smith's theory of moral sentiments, milk and water, Moore's travels, hasty pudding, 
La Bruyere, nettle porridge. This is what you were at when I came in, was it not? said she, taking up a book in which she saw Belinda's mark. Against inconsistency in our expectations. Poor thing! Who bored you with this task? Mr. Percival recommended it to me as one of the best essays in the English language. The devil! They seem to have put you in a course of the bitters. A course of the woods might do your business better. Do you ever hunt? Let me take you out with me some morning. You'd be quite an angel on horseback. Or let me drive you out some day in my unicorn. Belinda declined this invitation, and Mrs. Freak strode away to the window to conceal her mortification, threw up the sash, and called out to the groom, "'Walk those horses about, blockhead!' Mr. Percival and Mr. Vincent at this instant came into the room. "'Hail, fellow, well meant!' cried Mrs. Freak, stretching out her hand to Mr. Vincent. It has been remarked that an antipathy subsists between creatures who, without being the same, have set a strong external resemblance. Mr. Percival saw this instinct rising in Mr. Vincent and smiled. "'Hail, fellow, well meant, I say. Shake hands and be friends, man, though I'm not in the habit of making apologies. If it will be any satisfaction to you, I beg your pardon for frightening your poor devil of a black.' Then, turning towards Mr. Percival, she measured him with her eye as a person whom she longed to attack. She thought that if Belinda's opinion of the understanding of these Percivals could be lowered, she should rise in her esteem. Accordingly, she determined to draw Mr. Percival into an argument. "'I've been talking treason, I believe, to Miss Portman,' cried she. "'For I've been opposing some of your opinions, Mr. Percival.' "'If you oppose them all, madam,' said Mr. Percival, "'I should not think it treason. "'Vastly polite. "'But I think all our politeness hypocrisy. "'What do you say to that?' "'You know that best, madam.' "'Then I'll go a step farther, "'for I'm determined you shall contradict me. "'I think all virtue is hypocrisy.' "'I need not contradict you, madam,' said Mr. Percival, for the terms which you make use of contradict themselves. "'It is my system,' pursued Mrs. Freak, "'that shame is always the cause of the vices of women.' "'It is sometimes the effect,' said Mr. Percival. "'And as cause and effect are reciprocal, "'perhaps you may in some instances be right.' "'Oh, I hate qualifying arguers. "'Plump assertion or plump denial for me. "'You shan't get off so.' "'I say, shame is the cause of all women's vices.' "'False shame, I suppose you mean,' said Mr. Percival. "'Mere play upon words. All shame is false shame. We should be a great deal better without it. What say you, Miss Portman? Silent, eh?' "'Silence that speaks.' "'Miss Portman's blushes,' said Mr. Vincent. "'Speak for her.' "'Against her,' said Mrs. Freak. "'Women blush because they understand.' "'And you have them understand without blushing,' said Mr. Percival. "'I grant you that nothing can be more different than innocence and ignorance. "'Female delicacy.' "'This is just the way you men spoil women,' cried Mrs. Freak, "'by talking to them of the delicacy of their sex and such stuff. "'This delicacy enslaves the pretty delicate dears. "'No, it enslaves us.' said Mr. Vincent. 
"'I hate slavery. "'Vive la liberté!' cried Mrs. Freak. "'I am a champion for the rights of woman.' "'I am an advocate for their happiness,' said Mr. Vincent, "'and for their delicacy, as I think it conduces to their happiness. "'I am an enemy to their delicacy, as I am sure it conduces to their misery.' "'You speak from experience,' said Mr. Percival. "'No, from observation. "'Your most delicate women are always the greatest hypocrites, "'and in my opinion no hypocrite can or ought to be happy.' "'But you have not proved the hypocrisy,' said Belinda. "'Delicacy is not, I hope, an indisputable proof of it. "'If you mean false delicacy—' "'To cut the matter short at once—' cried Mrs. Freak. Why, when a woman likes a man, does not she go and tell him so honestly? Belinda, surprised by this question from a woman, was too much abashed instantly to answer. Because she's a hypocrite, that is, and must be the answer. No, said Mr. Percival, because if she be a woman of sense, she knows that by such a step she would disgust the object of her affection. "'Cunning, cunning, cunning, the arms of the weakest. "'Prudence, prudence, the arms of the strongest, "'taking the best means to secure your own happiness "'without injuring that of others "'is the best proof of sense and strength of mind, "'whether in man or woman. "'Fortunately for society, the same conduct in ladies "'which best secures their happiness most increases ours.' "'Mrs. Freak beat the devil's tattoo for some moments, and then exclaimed, "'You may say what you will, but the present system of society is radically wrong. Whatever is, is wrong.' "'How would you improve the state of society?' asked Mr. Percival calmly. "'I'm not tinker-general to the world,' said she. "'I'm glad of it,' said Mr. Percival, "'for I have heard that tinkers often spoil more than they mend.' "'But if you want to know,' said Mrs. Freak, "'what I would do to improve the world, I'll tell you. "'I'd have both sexes call things by their right names.' "'This would doubtless be a great improvement,' said Mr. Percival. "'But you would not overturn society to attain it, would you? "'Should we find things much improved "'by tearing away what has been called the decent drapery of life?' "'Drapery!' "'If you ask me my opinion,' cried Mrs. Free, "'drapery, whether wet or dry, "'is the most confoundedly indecent thing in the world.' "'That depends on public opinion, I allow,' said Mr. Percival. "'The Lacedaemonian ladies, who were veiled only by public opinion, "'were better covered from profane eyes "'than some English ladies were in wet drapery.' "'I know nothing of the Lacedaemonian ladies.' I took my leave of them when I was a schoolboy. Girl, I should say. But pray, what o'clock is it by you? I'm sat still, till I'm cramped all over, cried Mrs. Freak, getting up and stretching herself so violently that some part of her habiliments gave way. Only a sort qui mal pince, said she, bursting into a hoarse laugh. Without sharing in any degree that confusion which Belinda felt for her, she strode out of the room, saying, "'Miss Portman, you understand these things better than I do. Come, and set me to rights.' When she was in Belinda's room, she threw herself into an armchair and laughed immoderately. 
"'How I have trimmed Percival this morning,' said she. "'I am glad you think so,' said Belinda, "'for I really was afraid he had been too severe upon you.' "'I only wish,' continued Mrs. Freke, "'I only wish his wife had been by. "'Why the devil did not she make her appearance? "'I suppose the prude was afraid of my demolishing and unrigging her.' "'There seems to have been more danger of that for you than for anybody else,' said Belinda, as she assisted to set Mrs. Freke's rigging, as she called it, to rights. "'I do, of all things, delight in hauling good people's opinions out of their musty drawers, and seeing how they look when they're all pulled to pieces before their faces. "'Pray, are those Lady Anne's drawers, or yours?' said Mrs. Freke, pointing to a chest of drawers. "'Mine. I'm sorry for it.' for if they were hers, to punish her for shirking me, by the Lord I'd have every rag she has in the world, out in the middle of the floor in ten minutes. You don't know me. I'm a terrible person when provoked. Stop at nothing. As Mrs. Freak saw no other chance left of gaining her point with Belinda, she tried what intimidating her would do. I stop at nothing, repeated she, fixing her eyes upon Miss Portman, to fascinate her by terror. "'Friend or foe, peace or war, take your choice. "'Come to the ball at Harrogate. "'I win my bet, and I'm your sworn friend. "'Stay away, I lose my bet, and am your sworn enemy.' "'It is not in my power, madame,' said Belinda calmly, "'to comply with your request.' "'Then you'll take the consequences,' cried Mrs. Freak. "'She rushed past her, hurried down the stairs, and called out, "'Bid my blockhead bring my unicorn!' She, her unicorn, and her blockhead were out of sight in a few minutes. Good may be drawn from evil. Mrs. Freak's conversation, though at the time it confounded Belinda, roused her upon reflection to examine by her reason the habits and principles which guided her conduct. She had a general feeling that they were right and necessary, but now, with the assistance of Lady Anne and Mr. Percival, she established in her own understanding the exact boundaries between right and wrong upon many subjects. She felt a species of satisfaction and security from seeing at the demonstration of those axioms of morality in which she had previously acquiesced. Reasoning gradually became as agreeable to her as wit, nor was her taste for wit diminished. It was only refined by this process. She now compared and judged of the value of the different species of this brilliant talent. Mrs. Freak's wit, thought she, is like a noisy squib, the momentary terror of passengers, Lady Delacour's like an elegant firework, which we crowd to see, and cannot forbear to applaud. But Lady Anne Percival's wit is like the refulgent moon. We love the mild rays, and bless the useful light. Miss Portman, said Mr. Percival, are not you afraid of making an enemy of Mrs. Freke by declining her invitation to Harrogate? I think her friendship more to be dreaded than her enmity, replied Belinda. Then you are not to be terrified by an obia woman, said Mr. Vincent. Not in the least, unless she were to come in the shape of a false friend, said Belinda. Till lately, said Mr. Vincent, I was deceived in the character of Mrs. Freke. I thought her a dashing, free-spoken, free-hearted sort of eccentric person, who would make a staunch friend and a jolly companion. As a mistress or a wife, no man of any taste could think of her. 
compare that woman now with one of our Creole ladies. But why with a Creole lady? said Mr. Percival. For the sake of contrast, in the first place, our Creole women are all softness, grace, delicacy, and indolence, said Mr. Percival. Their indolence is but a slight, and in my judgment an amiable defect. It keeps them out of mischief, and it attaches them to domestic life. The activity of Mrs. Freak would never excite their emulation, and so much the better. So much the better, no doubt, said Mr. Percival. But is there no other species of activity that might excite their ambition with propriety, without diminishing their grace, softness, or delicacy? Might not they cultivate their minds? Do you think ignorance, as well as indolence, an amiable defect, essential to the female character? Not essential. You do not, I hope, imagine that I am so much prejudiced in favour of my countrywomen that I can neither see nor feel the superiority in some instances of European cultivation. I speak only in general. And in general, said Lady Anne Percival, does Mr. Vincent wish to confine our sex to the bliss of ignorance? If it be bliss, said Mr. Vincent, what reason would they have for complaint? If, said Belinda, but that is a question which you have not yet decided. And how can we decide it? said Mr. Vincent. The taste and feelings of individuals must be the arbiters of their happiness. You leave reason quite out of the question, then, said Mr. Percival, and refer to the whole of taste and feeling, so that if the most ignorant person in the world assert that he is happier than you are, you are bound to believe him. Why should I not? said Mr. Vincent. "'Because,' said Mr. Percival, "'though he can judge of his own pleasures, he cannot judge of yours. His are common to both, but yours are unknown to him. Would you, at this moment, change places with that ploughman yonder, who is whistling as he goes for want of thought, or would you choose to go a step higher in the bliss of ignorance and turn savage?' Mr. Vincent laughed and protested that he should be very unwilling to give up his title to civilized society and that instead of wishing to have less knowledge, he regretted that he had not more. "'I am sensible,' he said, "'that I have many prejudices. Miss Portman has made me ashamed of some of them.' There was a degree of candour in Mr. Vincent's manner and conversation which interested everybody in his favour, Belinda amongst the rest. She was perfectly at ease in Mr. Vincent's company, because she considered him as a person who wished for her friendship, without having any design to engage her affections. From several hints that dropped from him, from Mr. Percival, and from Lady Anne, she was persuaded that he was attached to some Creole lady, and all that he said in favour of the elegant softness and delicacy of his countrywomen confirmed his opinion. Miss Portman was not one of those young ladies who fancy that every gentleman who converses freely with them will inevitably fall a victim to the power of their charms, and will see in every man a lover, or nothing. End of section 19 Chapter 17. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Phoenix, Arizona. September 2011.